Welcome to Unspoken, the podcast that highlights experiences that are all too common but very rarely discussed. I am Dr. Cloda Campbell, the wellness psychologist, and I feel very passionately about speaking the unspoken to remove the taboo and shame that so often surrounds our experiences and internal worlds. For each episode of Unspoken, I am joined by someone who would like to uncover their unspoken with us in order to help themselves, but also in order to help others. I really hope that you enjoy today's episode and that you take something from it. Today's podcast is very kindly sponsored by O oh Lovely. O oh Lovely is a beautiful Irish company built on belief, the belief that you can be anything and everything you wish to be. All O oh Lovely candles and diffusers contain crystals and gemstones to increase energy and to power your beliefs. So whether you're taking some well-earned me time, pausing to reflect and reconnect or sending positive thoughts to loved ones oh lovely positive affirmation candles make the perfect gift oh lovely have very kindly offered unspoken listeners 20% off site-wide when using code unspoken during today's episode i speak to brian who very bravely shares his unspoken with us brian talks to me about growing up as a gay man in 1980s ireland the impact navigating his sexuality has had on his life, and he also shares the challenges faced by he and his husband Arthur on their journey to becoming fathers. Brian, welcome to Unspoken. I am not even going to pronounce your surname. Listen, we're both on the same page. I have issues with, uh, let me give it a go. Brian Dowling, I can say. Brian Dowling Gurunyan. Well done. Thank you so much. We've been married like a lifetime dating since 2002 you think I'd know my husband's name well you said it well done thank you I tried <laughs> your voice is so soothing thank you yeah you're like a therapist well that's yeah, good I because that's I am exactly. a therapist that's what I'm saying it works <laughs> Brian thank you so much for joining me today. thank you for asking me oh, I couldn't think of anyone I'd rather have sitting in front of me right now so I would love to start by you bringing us back to what growing up in Kildare was like for you yeah I was born in 1978 so grew up in Rathangan in County Kildare in the 80s, about an hour and 20 minutes from Dublin City in the country, lots of farms, one church, lots of pubs, one big shop, one of seven, six younger sisters, only boy. And growing up, I was very lucky being the only boy because everything I had had to be new because all the yes. girls had hand-me-downs, communion dresses, clothes, cardigans, jumpers, not me. I got my own room because Ooh. I was the only boy. And my sisters would always have to do extra chores around the house, sweeping, hoovering, doing the dishes. I didn't have to do that because I was the only boy. And my mom did spoil me <laughs> and I relished in it. Like I was a difficult child. My mom said I didn't sleep till I was two. Oh my goodness. I was screaming and there's only 10 months between my sister Michelle and I. It's like a short space of time. Mm. So it was like having twins. But I look back at my time growing up as just so happy, mm. so filled with love. We, we didn't have much money growing up. My father worked full time. My mom was a, a full time housewife. My dad would leave super early in the morning. And then we'd see him in the evening. So then we'd be in bed at eight, nine o'clock for school. Mm. I didn't really, I suppose, have an understanding of the sacrifices your parents make for you when you're growing up. As soon as you get older mm. and you look at life and the cost of living and what it must have taken, seven children, one job, you mm. know, should we be sharing baths together? One sister be in the sink, <laughs> want to be outside. We had the best time growing up, even though we didn't have 
much money. We were so loved. We were never hungry. We were never cold. And we were never sad. A really happy time growing up, actually. So what was it like then growing up in that small town in Ireland with a very traditional family, then growing up as a gay? When did you when did you first realise that you were... Well, I probably should say from birth. Um, hey, no, um, probably <laughs> like realistically secondary school. Okay. I'm thinking junior cert time mm. up until leaving cert. Before then... I suppose I, I looked at girls, obviously, and girls were my friends and I had girlfriends and we'd get Valentine's cards. I remember like then you'd be asked to shift someone and I was like, what's a shift? And they'd be like, you'd have to kiss her under the bridge. And I remember like almost being horrified. I'm not kissing a girl. Oh, that sounds disgusting. I should have known then that was gay. I didn't think that was super gay. I just thought I'm just not really into the girl. So as I got older, mm. I realized, but I also knew from a really young age that I wasn't going to pretend And I wasn't going to lie. And I felt like that stems from my upbringing that I felt like, obviously, I didn't have to feel like I needed to pretend. Obviously, I was called names growing up, you know, queer, faggot, gay, pansy or sissy, all of that stuff. But it was never, you know, to the point where I wouldn't get up or go to school. It was never like, I don't don't feel like I was ever bullied. But of course, I was different. Mm -hmm. I was very lucky that I was able to be very quick and say something funny and kind of distract the situation. I had lots of friends, you know, growing up. But yeah, I never felt like I had to lie or pretend. I just wasn't 100% honest. But also growing up in the 80s and in the 90s, I did my Leaving Cert in 1996. There was no representation of what I wanted or where I saw my life going visually. Mm. There was no one that, oh, I want to be like him or I want to, I want to do that. Mm. There was nothing like that. And I think now in this day and age when people are growing up and they have concerns or you know they're wondering about their sexuality there's so many other people out there that are doing it there's Mm. loads of stuff you know and I think very lucky now back in the 80s there was really nothing I was just very lucky that I had support of friends and family it was never really an issue for me you said there I didn't hide it but I wasn't 100% honest what does that mean? In a sense of, I knew that I, coming towards fifth year and sixth year in school, I knew that I was definitely gay, mm. but I wasn't telling that to people. I knew that I wasn't attracted to girls. I, even now I would, I would look at a woman and be so, oh, she smells and made beautiful eyes. She looks great. But back then I just wasn't as honest. I think that was probably fear. Whereas I am being myself 90% of the time. I'm just mm. not ready yet for you to see me as me a hundred percent. I think I was just fear. Mm. And again, not knowing the reaction. And that's why I wanted to get away. I always wanted to leave and go out somewhere and get a job away. And I think that was my way of escaping Mm. in a sense, but also have security of work. I was a holiday rep. And then I went to Ryanair in 1998. I knew I always wanted to kind of get away and Mm. find out who I really was and who this person was and what is being gay mean and you know even mm-hmm. kissing a guy what would that be like or going on dates I, I hadn't got a clue because yeah. you know there was no gays when I was growing up in in Rathangan it was it's just yeah you just and when you're different you feel different and even if people don't necessarily make you feel different you know you're different and unless you see someone like you you're mm-hmm. going to feel uncomfortable you're not going to feel like relatable to the people get you That's a really interesting point that you've made. Of course, you're going to feel different if you don't see anybody that's like you. 
Yeah, you, yeah, you're going to feel odd. If I don't see anyone that represents me, mm. how do I know that it's right? Yeah. Or how do I know that it's acceptable? Mm. All you hear would be gay slurs or people saying something derogatory towards, so you know it's not a good thing. I was never in a safe enough space. You know, even I, I didn't come out to my family because I didn't have the courage to do that. I, I, that's fear. So it sounds like actually there was quite a lot of unspoken going on for you like oh yeah my my whole growing up and going through school a lot was unspoken and what was unspoken was the truth of who I really am as a person and I think Mm. it just comes down to fear of the unknown yeah fear of what fear of rejection I would say fear of people disapproving or fear of you being shunned Mm. you know which never happened to me Mm. but today you know I hear horror stories from people or you, you read anything in the press in different countries with LGBTQ plus and rights. It's just ridiculous. Mm. You know, I'm very lucky I can sit here with you at nearly 45 years old with a husband and with the baby and live in this almost this bubble of happiness and acceptance. It's not like that all the time for everyone. So you're there, you are in your late teens, there's a lot unspoken for you. You're trying to figure out yourself, who you are. And you, it sounds like you were hiding some parts of yourself from people. Did you talk to anyone about this Absol- before you even headed away? Yeah, no, absolutely no one. It was just something I had to come to terms with myself first. Mm-hmm. And that I almost feel like I needed to escape to find out who I was mm. and then have the confidence and the proudness and the security to go, well, this is me now. And if you don't like it, well, F you. Mm. I, I wouldn't have had that courage and that confidence before. And again, it's just the fear of the unknown. Listen, I'm sure it was so obvious to everyone that I was gay, everyone in my family, you know, my friends, people I worked with. But I also think people were very respectful To me, the majority of times where I feel like I was never forced into anything at all. But again, it's about the thing of you you feel you're so... It's like anything you go through in life or anything challenging. You always feel like when no one's going to know what this feels like. No one's going to be able to relate to me. But then I think joining Ryanair and going to Stansted in the UK and, you know, getting my career. I wanted to be um, a flight attendant and air steward. I was able to live my authentic life, I think, more then because I knew the holiday rep was just going to be for a season what's going to be a job or a career yeah and I knew when I moved to London with Ryanair this was going to be my career I was going to do this for all of my life I loved it and I felt like I was able to be myself but then when I would fly home for a wedding or a christening or a funeral I would have to be a different version of myself okay again but I knew TikTok on that it was time one day I'd have to what have I got into a serious relationship or when I Mm. fell in love or when I wanted to get married yeah I would have to disclose the secret identity that I was gay to everyone and again when when it all happened it wasn't a big deal at all it's just it's when it's unspoken you just don't know and again it was only in the late 90s when I moved to the UK and I was going to gay bars and gay clubs Old Compton Street in Soho with so many people like me. I it was it was it was it was so naive of me to think. And I think back to that teenager, you know, in the nineties, the late eighties, going, it's it's only me. There's a whole world of color and people and personalities and acceptance and love and respect yeah. out there that you just have no idea when you're so young. And the words that you're using when you're talking about this time, you're saying things like come to terms with, disclose. So 
that really bring I feel that that's bringing me back to what that was like for you you know where your mind was at that time that you had to come to terms with you had to disclose yeah, and even words like that, you know, come to terms, you know, disclose. You can say that about, you know, a lot of stuff. And that's why I always feel it's very important when people know their time to come out. No one should ever take that from anyone. It is mm. such a personal, emotional, vulnerable journey. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I've, people say, oh God, he must be gay or she's this and she's that. And you kind of go, oh yeah, whatever. But it's up to that person, that individual to have mm. the courage to do that and it's so weird thinking back to when I was in school or on my leaving cert you know dancing to the Spice Girls if you want to be my lover I cut to like 2001 in a gay club doing it yeah. just the difference of one song at a time in your life and I had loads of pinch me moments and going wow I'm in this amazing club in London I've been asked out on a date or you know I've kissed a guy I would never have thought in the 90s at school that, that would even have been possible but again with the whole coming to terms and the disclosure that I was gay I chickened out of telling my family I got my sister Michelle we're like twins just 10 months between us as I yeah. said earlier she told my parents because I was afraid I was going on Big Brother in 2001 mm. and I said I can't tell them I feel like this is something I need to say face to face and I, I just can't fly home I'm going on the show this week and, wow. she's, and she said something about Brian and my mum was like is he ill is he in trouble and she was like, no, it's not that at all. Brian's gay. Yeah. And my mom was like, what do you mean he's gay? She's like, Brian's gay. He, he likes, he likes, he likes men. Yeah. And my mom was like, oh, just stop with your lies for God's sake. Get yourself to bed. Have some, we used to have cereal at nighttime in our house, which is cereal with hot milk. We loved it. Have some cornflakes and hot milk and go to bed for God's sake. And Michelle was like, no, no, Brian's gay. And the next, I landed from a flight from Italy. I don't know what part of Italy the next day. I was in the crew room in Stansted. And I rang my mom on my zhuzhi phone that was my phone back then was like a bricket it was a huge you had to put, put on the aerial up just to get a signal and dialing the number it cost me a fortune also and I rang her and I said mom it, it's I never actually said I'm gay she said is what your sister told me about you the truth and I said yes it's the truth and she said it's just not it's not a phase you're going through you're trying to be fashionable and I said mom if I was trying to be fashionable like I'd buy a nice jumper she said are you okay nothing's happened I said no I'm fine and that was the only conversation we ever had about it. And then I literally went on Big Brother literally that week. And that's why when I was on the show, I was so important for me to find out if when I was, I was never up for, you know, elimination or addiction any week. Amazingly, I went, you know, through to the final. And it was so important for me that day that my family were coming. Who, who, who's going to be there? Your mom's coming. My sister was pregnant at the time. She couldn't come, but everyone else, my sisters were so young, like babies. Mm. And it was so important to me because I knew that my, my family were seeing the authentic me on the show. And they would never have seen this, such a version of me because I was, trying to hide part of, you know, my life, which was the fact that I was gay. Yeah. So for them to see me on Big Brother and then to make it the whole way through to the final and knowing that they were there, I still really didn't know what the reaction was going to be because I'd never been up for eviction. So I didn't quite know, you know, what, what the, then when I was crowned the winner, I kind of thought, well, obviously people don't hate me. You know, if you're, if you're the most popular person in the popularity contest. And I kind of thought, I always said to my mom afterwards, I said, well, mom, you know, it would have been awkward for you not to be at that gate. You know, when everyone had voted for me and accepted me. Yeah. But I've even, I've never, my mom passed away, as you know, in 2018. And we've never had that conversation. I never came out to my mom. My sister had done that for me. My mom met two boyfriends that I had, two serious relationships. One was one. And then the other is my husband. 
Arthur. So we've never, even with my father, my father is 65, 66 maybe this year. I should should know that. And I've never, never had that conversation with them. It's, I've been very, very lucky that my sister did the job for me. And then I went on national television. I mean, when you think about it, it was brave. It was stupid. But I knew even from auditioning, I wasn't, I got an application form for the first season of Big Brother. Mm. And I told my mom and she said, you're not doing that. And I listened to my mom. My boyfriend at the time was an investment banker, privately educated, way more, he like, and him and I should never have worked. It was the oddest thing. And he was like, oh no, no way, no way, no way. And then we watched the show and him and I broke up. And then I got an application form for the second season. I didn't tell my family until I knew it was serious enough. And even by doing the show, I was forcing myself into a situation where I would have to disclose the stuff that's unspoken about. I was yeah. forcing myself into it because I left the form. Why? Why because are you forcing yourself? Because I, 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 need, I needed to tell them. I needed to tell them. I never felt like I was in a relationship where I need to tell them about this person. I needed to tell them. And I just, and part of me obviously wanted to escape again. And by going in there, no one's going to get access to me. No, that's why even when I did it again, the show in 2010, for the ultimate version of Big Brother, I quite liked handing over my phone. Like I didn't miss my phone. Everyone, oh, I'm my phone. I know. I, I love the idea of kind of getting away from everyone. Mm. And once you get your food and you get your bed and your clothes and you can have a shower, sure, it's all good. But it, it, it was just, I just remember like looking back on it and yeah, like it was, I've just been very lucky, very lucky. I'm really interested because you said I needed to tell them, but you didn't. I didn't tell them, yeah. but I knew also by going, on the show, mm. they'd have to see me because I'd watched the end of some of the first season. I kind of knew it was 24 hours, all of that. Mm. Um, and I think Big Brother was also a way. So the form lay in my room for months and myself and that a gentleman <laughs> broke up and he sent me a message on Valentine's Day of 2001 saying there's no flowers for me this year because we broke up. And I was like, you know what? Can you swear on this podcast? You can do whatever you want. I was like, fuck you. <laughs> and I got, I'll, uh, um, I've said this story before, Bacardi Breezers, pineapple ones. And I filled out the application form. Bacardi Breezer, You know, I didn't even use a straw. It was like, you know, the, the bottle hitting the tooth, that noise, chink. I've got veneers now, so I couldn't do that. They'd break. It was my own teeth back then. And didn't have a straw. And I knocked them back and filled out the form, you mm. know, and I think I was forcing myself into a situation of, you know, also challenging myself. I'd been very lucky in life with, you know, mm. getting jobs growing up and my dad knew this person or someone knew that person, even getting Ryanair. I was a lady that had seen me in Dunstores working, worked for Ryanair, thought I'd be good at the job. And, you know, through Big Brother, I really enjoyed it. I think I was forcing myself to, you know, sometimes to challenge myself. And even like this, to this day, yeah. I don't necessarily like to challenge myself a lot, whereas Arthur is so different. Mm. And I feel like back then at 22 years old, when I was on the show, I was very young. I look at 22 year olds now and I go, oh my goodness, that was me such a long time ago. But I felt like I ha I forced myself into a situation where I was like, no, enough's enough. You're, you're 22 here. You know, stand up and say, this is me. Mm. This is who I am. You got to lump it or like it. But I just did on national television. For everyone to As judge you me. Do. Yeah, I mean, it's, it sounds like so ridiculous. Sounds like a movie. And what happened afterwards? Did you live happily ever after? And yes, shockingly, I am living happily ever after. I'm very lucky. But going back to that idea of I had to tell them, it's almost like you orchestrated it in a way that you had an excuse that you couldn't. I need to do it now before Big Brother. I'm not going to see them, so Michelle will do it for me. Yeah, it, I suppose it was 
it was just fear again. And I didn't, and if my parents, and you know, I was obsessed, my mom, with such a close relationship. We're like best friends. She had me at 21. And I almost felt like I didn't want to disappoint her. And if she was disappointed, mm. at least I don't have that reaction to remember. Because oh. it like it, it it wasn't face to face, so my sister could break the news to me softly. Break like, the news yeah, again, even again. You know the I know, language. but that's yeah. that, that's the pressure yeah. you put on yourself. That I would have a feeling then, well, at least then, if it didn't go well, I wouldn't have that memory. And if my yeah. mom was like, "No, that's it. You can't be our son, or you're disowned," that I wouldn't have that memory. I'd still have mm. the happy memories. Because mm. again, it's fear of the unknown. And I was really being two people. The person that was out in London on my application for Big Brother, I was out, I was openly gay. And, when I, and also people that worked at Ryanair also knew some family members, which is so odd. And I thought this, so, the two worlds are so distant from each other. Yeah. No, they're not. Lots of people fly from Dublin Airport from Merthangan, for God's sake. It wasn't a fucking different country. It's so funny when you're in something. Yeah. You, 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 sometimes you don't have clarity. But again, I forced myself and then my sister, Michelle. And luckily, Michelle was like, I'll tell them. And maybe she was trying to help me in case it didn't go, you know, the way it could have went. But all parents love, majority of parents, you know, love their children and want the best for them. It was just fear. What was telling Michelle like then? Because you did have that conversation with her. I'd said to her, you know that I'm gay. She went, yeah, everyone knows that. That was the conversation. Okay. I didn't mind telling my sister because I'm thinking, who the hell is she to judge me? I'm her older brother. I thought, I've, I've seen the guys you've dated or kissed at school. I've got shit on you too, <laughs> bitch. That's not going anywhere. So yeah. I, disclosing to her, my sisters, that was fine. That, you know, I disclosed to friends, even use the word disclosed. Yeah. I mean, we were yeah. having this conversation in 2023. Yeah. You know, but that was what it felt like mm. back then. It was such a big deal. But divide opinion on people. Like I even thought if people knew I was gay, could I get a job it's so funny because you just don't know yeah. how it's going to go could but, I get a job oh, yeah it's true because that's what you're thinking yeah. that's in 96 when I was at school you just don't yeah. know yeah. having career guidance and what I wanted to do I knew by having an air by being an air steward might be easier because predominantly people would say lots of gay men are trolley dollies so that was fine doing that but telling my sister was just that was that was that was fine she had the heart job Michelle poor Michelle has Michelle recovered no one knows so you're standing there and you're ready to leave the big brother house you're wondering, are my parents going to be here? Yeah. How's it going to go? What happened? I remember, actually, there was fireworks going off either side of me that I've no recollection happened, right? And they called me into the diary room and said to me, yeah, you're drinking too much cider. Rain that in. Now I'd be horrified at the thought of me drinking cider. <laughs> and I remember just getting Davina saying to me, the fireworks are all for you. They're all for you. Davina was pregnant at the time. I remember that. And I remember hugging my mom and dad. And th- that was, that would th- that hug so it gives me goose pimples. So I get emotional when I think about it. But that hug for me was the, the kind of everything that I'd, I'd waited for and embracing my mom and her holding her only son as the, the man he was, you know, and that was very, and when I think back and when I watch that, you see it on clips, it comes up nearly every July um, at the anniversary. And I, I always look back at my mom and my mom was so young. My mom was only in her early forties, probably my age when I was on mm. Big Brother. And I thought she was incredibly old. That's what's so odd about it. Mm. I got the acceptance straight away. The minute I hugged my mom and I hugged my dad and I seen so much love and support. And also like my, my mom was, was proud. She was very proud of me. And it's something that, you know, 
it's just, it's just an odd feeling. Not that I didn't think she was ever proud of me, but I just looked at her and I just knew she was proud. Yeah. And I got that embrace from her. And that to me was way more than the 70,000 and even the money. I forgot about the money at one point. Someone had to remind me, you know, you've won 70 grand tax free. I was like, what? That was like, you know, the other thing. But just getting that from her was just incredible. And it was a really long embrace. And she, I can feel now her hands like in my shoulder base. She really squeezed me and my dad. And it was just an amazing feeling. And that was, that was the acceptance. I got the acceptance yeah. on the 27th of July, 2001 mm-hmm. there and then. And that's why we've never had to have a conversation about it. And I remember I was obsessed with my sister, Tracy was pregnant. And Chloe is now 22 or 23, 22 years old. So yeah, I got the acceptance and I often wondered why I worried. Mm -hmm. Why did I worry? Because we didn't need a conversation. We just needed a hug. That's all I wanted was just a hug from them. And for them to tell me everything's going to be okay. Of course you're our son. What's the big deal? You know, and also for my parents, you know, living in Rathangan to watch their son on telly for that length of time and to stand by me and to see me drunk or naked or screaming and all of that. And Mm -hmm. just to be so proud yeah. You know, and just to get that hug was, that's all I, I, I would always say. I want to see my mom. I want to see my mom. You know, I want my mom's okay. I want to see my dad's okay. Because I knew they were watching this play out. And now yeah. as a parent, wow, that for them just to sit back and before social media, I think it was a blessing. There was no social media, no trolling, any of that. Mm. But it was constantly in the tabloids and it was live on television and spin-off shows. And for them to watch their child go through that takes such power I think and how you can do that but that hug and I have that on tape it's amazing like everything was documented because I'm there mm-hmm. hugging them on television yeah. and to have all of that and then to show my daughter in she'd be horrified her father was on reality TV she'd be like oh that's so dreadful why did you do that and I say look around that's why we did it and for her to see and she didn't she won't meet her her nana Rosie and for her to see that mm-hmm. and to know that just shows love yeah. and family yeah. and support. But that hug to me is was one of the best hugs ever in my life. It was incredible. So you mentioned your beautiful daughter, Blake. Was that something you envisioned growing up as that, you know, young boy who was trying to come to terms with, come to terms again, I'm saying it. Yes, and see, to, I converted you now. <laughs> Disclosing, disclose, Brian. <laughs> disclose the truth. <laughs> G- growing up in like in the 90s, I would never have thought I would be married to my husband and have a baby. Not at all. Blake is such a miracle to our lives, especially as people know my sister Aoife being our surrogate Mm. and doing all of that. But again, for me growing up, there was no visibility of someone like me that I wanted to see that was married to a man that was that was gay and working and had a child. And I just, back then in the 90s, I just wanted to kind of get a job and get a career. Obviously, I wanted a relationship. I wanted a family. Mm. I wanted to get married. I just never thought it'd be possible. We got married in 2015 and we had our baby in 2022. Mm. I would never have thought growing up in the 90s, those would have happened the way. You just just don't. You just don't because there's no visibility and you just think no one, and also being gay, I kind of always thought if I want to live my best gay life, I'm sacrificing having a family. I didn't know anyone that was okay. gay and that had a family. I didn't yeah. know it was possible. You know, back then in the 90s, no one talked about surrogacy. Yeah. I remember seeing in the papers growing up in the late 90s, a gay couple that had children through surrogacy. 
but it was so expensive. Yeah. And you're thinking then I'm never going to have that money. I'm never going to be able to do that. Mm. And then to see that I've been able to do all of those things is incredible. Proving that never give up on what you want. But I never thought our daughter would be here five months old. Incredible. You look incredible. Like it's just, it's incredible that I have a child. Like it's incredible. It's because my mom would always say to me, before my mom passed, passed away, we talked about children. She was, mom's called me son. Ah, son, but you're not ready. You're so spoiled. You're so selfish. I'm like, mom. And she's like, ah, son, have a try. I know who you are. I try to get birth. I carried you for nine months. You are. And I would go, she actually has a point. I'm very spoiled and selfish. Like, so for me, you know, even having a child and being able to do it, yeah. it's something that Arthur and I have really just adapted to straight away yeah. from the time she was, del- even before that, and trying. I, I think the way that we had, this has all happened for us, mm-hmm. you know, you're not second guessing yourself. You know, when I'm giving my sister hormones to have my baby, we're in it. Yeah. There was no point I'm going, mm, should we do this? You know, because you're so in it mm. because it's such a big thing you were doing. And what was surprising for me was the feathers, it ruffled in 2022 and how it divided opinion that people had an opinion on this, whether it was right, whether it was wrong. And before I'd never really let that filter into my life because the job that I do, he's saying this on a public platform, which is true, is that people would have an opinion on me, the way that I look or act or dress or my weight or any of that. Mm -hmm. But when it became to my family of my, it was a real, I I learned a lesson then of going, wow, ooh, this is a bit too close to the bone. Before stuff didn't bother me. Yeah. When we were trying to have a baby and we held, we kept it a secret for quite a long time. And we then again disclosed, it's like a word I'm using. I thought we were disclosing again. Yeah. It was because my sister was showing and my sister, Aoife, was pregnant and was at work and no, you know, she had to disclose she was pregnant and she's a single girl. Mm-hmm. And there was loads of rumors flying about, about Aoife being pregnant and we were going to take Aoife's baby. The surrogacy kind of got lost in all of that. Mm-hmm. And then that was, an, that, that was, that was intense. Recently, I did a post on Instagram, which I normally don't, never do actually, where I almost kind of acknowledge the trolling or the hate, but it got to a point where it was just too much. And I remember it was a picture, I, I was guest hosting Ireland Dame and I had a kind of a, a printy animal print jumper that was really nice. And the picture just should have been, look at me and my gorgeous jumper. Mm. And it turned into this whole thing about what people have been saying about us and about my child. It's very shocking from doing a show when I did in 2001 and not having social media and being so vulnerable, I felt almost like we're back to that point in my life of just being really vulnerable and people can easily reach you and can easily get to you with social media. And it's the only time I've bitten back and I said, once I became a parent and a father that I had to call out homophobia and hate because it's not, it's concern for my sister it's not, it's homophobia. Guys, guys just concern or for my daughter or the lifestyle we lead or, you know, it's all homophobia. It's all homophobia because my whole thing was heterosexual people that go through this and surrogacy are almost applauded. Heterosexual women who can't have children are almost applauded and, and heterosexual men. But as a gay couple, it's almost like, why would they want children in the first place? They're not odd. So who's going to be the mom? It's, it's almost, it's so odd. And I found myself for the first time in my life been in that situation going, okay, I just need to take a breath with this because this is a lot. Like it was a lot. But the day she was born, 
that just faded away. It was like, you know, when your hand basin or bath is full, you just take out the protocol and all the water goes away. Yeah. When she was born, it was almost like a cleansing of it and it kind of all went away. And even now when I look at her and I just go, well, yeah, she, she, she's totally worth it. Like, it's fine. Say what you want. It's funny. Wow. It just goes to show the complexity that can be going on in someone's life and we just see so little of it. Given what you went through to welcome her into the world, do you think you would go through it again? It's the funniest thing, Arthur, I've had that conversation about having another baby. I Yes, we're definitely, I, yes, 100%. You know, I, I love the idea of Blake having a sibling. Yeah. If that's what happens, you know, if we're lucky again, I'd love the idea of Blake having a sibling. I'd love the idea of them being close enough in age where they can love each other, but also hate each other, <laughs> in, you know, in the same kind of way. Was that like you and Michelle? Oh, 100%, <laughs> even to this day. I like the idea of that. Yeah. So, and hopefully, yes, but, but then I, you know, I wouldn't want it to become an obsession either where if it didn't work, we kept trying and trying and trying. I would have to say to Arthur, about that gratitude, mm. we already have this. Yeah. How lucky are we being? And she's a really good baby and so happy and healthy, healthy, yeah. healthy, healthy. And that's what you want. And she's happy. So yes, I would never rule it. I mean, I am 110 soon. So like at some point, I do wish though, all those years ago when we lived in London and we lived in our apartment in London, that was gorgeous. But we said, oh, it's not ready for children because you need to have that. You, you don't. Like, all kids need is love. Yeah. You know, that's all. And I, part of me does go, oh, if I had it done it 10 years ago, you know, I'd be younger and I would, you know, be able to do, I suppose, more as I get older. Mm. But again, everything happens for a reason. And we were meant to have Blake September 1st, 2022. And that was the day I was supposed to become a parent. And that will never change. Yeah. You said a couple of times that people have assumptions about you or people think they know you. Yeah. Who really is Brian? Ooh, that's a tough question. Who? I would say someone who is fun. I'd love to have a laugh. I'd say someone that is actually quite sensitive and probably more sensitive than people think. Um, he is someone that does not like confrontation. I've never liked confrontation. And I'm sure people think, you know, I work on The Real Housewives, the franchise in the UK for ITV. So what Andy Cohen does in America, I do um, in England. And I love when they go at it. They're like, ah, you bitch, yeah. I'm a spectator. I'd never want to get drawn into confrontation. I'm, I, just, I walk away from confrontation. I think people think I'm more ballsy than I am. Mm. Um, I, I lack confidence, I would say. There's been an insecure, I'm, I'm quite insecure at times, but I just like to have a laugh and, you know, life's, I appreciate life mm. a lot more now since losing mom. I appreciate life and I'm probably more up for challenges now than I ever was before. And I'm very excited to see what the future holds, but yeah, probably more sensitive than people think and probably not as loud. And I probably don't drink as much as people <laughs> think either. I think people think all I do is go out and get drunk and drink and that's not the case my husband doesn't drink so I would never it sounds like someone who's trying to change people's opinions doesn't it it's like I don't drink as much as people say Ugh. I actually don't Arthur doesn't drink okay. so I think people think everything's always a party constantly going out constantly traveling no not all of that and I actually quite mm. enjoy being at home in a pair of tracksuit bottoms fluffy socks slippers yeah. completely messy eating Doritos and crisps and Tato and yeah. watching telly I'm yeah. as happy doing that more so now I think than before I think now I, I just I kind of like oh let's just stay in and watch telly you're just like the rest of us 
I am just Inner like slippers I am and just like I'm so yeah. relatable. I'm just like everyone <laughs> in my slippers and my tracky bottoms. Oh yeah, I like I, I love all that and getting a takeaway and yeah. indulging. And also yeah. like I'm now I'm more aware of self care and how important that is mm. and looking after ourselves. And I kept saying that to Arthur as things get busy and chaotic and being parents and working. We also have to like Arthur and I have not done date night in a while since having the baby. We'd always do date night mm. every week, one night a week. We would do date night and we've just been so much going on but I think self-care is super important as well I have one last question and it might be a sad one I am gay yeah (laughs) so tell me about your sexuality (laughs) one last question and I'm asking this because I lost my dad Mm. coming up in 10 years ago and it's really difficult for me that he never got to meet my girls yes so what was it like finally getting to become a parent welcoming Blake into the world and your mum not being here yeah it was it was so especially with Aoife my sister being pregnant and not having her mum you know support her through all of that and telling her about the cramp or this is happening or any of that but for I'm lucky that Aoife and I had each other which I think was a great thing for us but I remember going into the hospital and Aoife was so emotional the day we delivered Blake and I remember just thinking the only person I wanted to ring that day and the only person I wanted to see Blake first was my mother and I didn't have that through all of it I wanted to and even more so when Blake got her injections recently her first injections I was inconsolable like the doctor actually came out from another room there's a big corridor and he was like are you okay? I was offered Valium because what had, what was, we'd just come from Christmas. Yeah. Arthur's mom was with us mm. for those three months. I wanted my mom. I wanted my mom. And when my daughter was so hysterical, mm. I absolutely lost my shit. There was snot mixed with tears. I couldn't even breathe. I remember getting into the car and I said to Arthur and I just said, I'm crying. I said, because I miss my mom. Yeah. I said, I want my mom here. I want my, to ring my mom so my mom can tell me what to do with Blake yeah. and tell me, I just want my mom. I just miss her. And then we stayed and people were getting out cars, like the mask on as well. It was just so awkward. And I just sobbed because I was just sad. Yeah. I was just really sad. I wanted my mommy. And she yeah. wasn't there. Yeah. And I was, I was, but I was able to have that moment with Arthur. I was able to get emotional. He cried. Blake was still screaming in the back of the car as well. Yeah. And it was, and then I laughed. And then I actually laughed. Yeah. And actually what made me even worse was that Arthur had played the song that Rihanna sings and it's from Black Panther 2. And it's such a sad song. And I know the actor from that movie had passed away. And I, that was going through my mind as yeah. well. And I just... Oh my, like I, I actually surprised the doctor let me leave the clinic. Like I'm surprised I wasn't put somewhere. Seriously, because I was just, but what that was, that was me keeping my shit together for such a long time. And the fact that Arthur had his mum and part of me was also jealous that I didn't have my mum. And I wasn't able to verbally communicate that. So I put it all away as I do. And I said, I'll handle that another time. And then Blake was having her vaccines and she was hysterical. I then became hysterical because my child's hysterical. And it Mm. all just erupted into this just catastrophic moment, which Mm. Arthur recorded and put on TikTok. So that's (laughs) just my husband. It's like Big Brother. It's never left me. He was there. And I afterwards went, why are people messaging me about crying? What? 
And then I went, Arthur, forgot a fucking filter. I look ridiculous. <laughs> I thought dark circles, there was so much going on. And in a way, it's kind of funny that I have that now that yeah. I can see. Mm. But yeah, you, you never stop missing a parent, especially when you have a child, mm. because they are the pros. They know. Mm. Even the other night, the other morning, I went to ring my mom, which happened. Blake woke up and she normally wouldn't. And I went along and I went down dial. And I was like, where's my mom's number? It's not on my recent, obviously exhausted and tired, not on my recent call thing. And I had to go in under M mm. to find, I was in there when I put the number up, I went, oh, my mom's dead. But in that haze of going through my recent, even I checked my phone for recent calls, I couldn't find her number. Yeah. And I thought, oh God, I'll just go and put M for mom. And I would look at the number and I went, my mom's dead. But it was just so odd mm. that I didn't realize, she, I have times I forget she's dead. And five years, it's just so odd that I went to call her because Blake yeah. was unsettled. Mm. And I said, I'll ring mom. She'd tell me what to do. Maybe give her some water during the night or yeah. do this or bath or put a line on her tummy. You know, as moms and yeah. dads know what to do with their children. Yeah. And it was so funny. I forgot she was dead. And I do have those moments sometimes where I have to tell myself, your mom's dead. And I couldn't say the word dead for ages. Yeah. For years, I couldn't say it. And now I'm very matter of fact to myself, she's dead. Push on, close the phone, check on your child, go back to bed. But it was, and it, but it was quite quite nice. Was still being able to do. It was quite nice in that moment that I didn't have the pain of her. So for those moments, I was looking for her number. Yeah. Was a really lovely moment. Yeah, and it makes me smile now. And I think it was so nice. Yeah, it felt normal. Yeah. I didn't have the pain that she's dead. Yeah. So for those yeah. few, it wasn't it? Was, couldn't, couldn't even been a minute, forty five seconds yeah. of doing it. It was quite nice to have that moment that she's alive. Oh well. I think that Blake is one very, very lucky girl. Oh, thank you. you. So do I. I mean, yeah. <laughs> no, I just think there's so much love for her, mm. you know, and I th that's really all you need. Yeah, that's so true. So true. Well, thank you so much for joining me and speaking about all of this, because as you said yourself, a lot of it has been really unspoken for you. Yeah. And I can really understand why you asked Michelle to yes. to come out to to your parents yeah, for to you disclose. You I'm going to leave away. here today saying the word disclose. Yeah. It's the it's it, it, it's a confrontation yeah. thing yeah. and that awkwardness. I'm not very good yeah. around those things. Even when I go on reality TV and I'm asked to, do, <laughs> I'm not cutting me a cut way in the back. Ooh, awkward. I'm so lucky though again that I have siblings mm. and love and support that my sister wasn't afraid to do that. So this podcast should be dedicated to my sister Michelle. <laughs> Thank you, Michelle. <laughs> Throughout today's conversation, the two words that kept coming up for me were authenticity and acceptance. Two things I'm asked about every single day as a psychologist and something my clients continuously work towards in my therapy room. Let's take a look first at authenticity. Authenticity is the process of accepting ourselves for who we really are and abandoning the idea of who we think we're supposed to be. So let me ask you, are you living your life authentically? Are you showing the world who you really are deep down or are you showing them who you think you're supposed to be? When I ask you this, I do so because I see every day the distress and dis-ease that comes when people suppress themselves, whether this is their sexuality, their emotions, holding themselves back from expressing themselves in their relationships or when it comes to expressing and asking for their needs to be met. So if you're holding yourself back, if you're not showing up in the world as your authentic self, how is this impacting you? What distress and disease is that creating in your life? 
The biggest change I see when my clients arrive to me asking for my support, often because they're feeling really anxious and really distressed, is that when they are able to begin showing up authentically in their lives, whether this is just in our therapy sessions or in the wider world, their distress and dis-ease dissipates. This has honestly been one of the most powerful learnings for me over the past few years and one that inspires me to show up to the world as my most authentic self every single day. When it comes to authenticity, something that's really important to remember too is that we embrace our imperfections and that we embrace ourselves exactly as we are. You'll notice that this is a huge theme for me in my work. But it's really important for us to remember that as humans, we are all fallible, flawed, perfectly imperfect beings. Perfection simply doesn't exist, yet so many of us strive for it. And when we do so, when we strive for perfection, what do you think happens to us? We're striving for something that doesn't exist, that's unattainable, unachievable. And when we do so, we end up feeling like failures. We end up feeling like we're not good enough. We end up feeling really beaten down. So next time you notice yourself striving for perfection, remember perfection is an illusion and that the aim is good enough. The good enough friend, the good enough daughter, the good enough son, the good enough mother, good enough. Self-compassion is often the antidote to perfectionism because it allows us to learn from our mistakes without connecting them to our self-worth. So the next time you notice yourself criticizing yourself, saying and feeling like you're not perfect, remember we're aiming for good enough and remember to introduce those self-compassion practices that we've talked about in episode one and two. It's also worth mentioning when we talk about authenticity that vulnerability and showing our vulnerability and expressing our vulnerability and showing up and connecting in this way in our relationships and in life is really important. Brené Brown describes vulnerability as uncertainty, risk and emotional exposure. It's that unstable feeling we get when we step out of our comfort zone or do something that forces us to loosen control, like being really honest or lowering our mask, showing ourselves to the world showing up as our perfectly imperfect authentic self this is vulnerability and if we shy away from vulnerability it can be really helpful to start building an awareness of that mindfulness is a really beautiful way to start this process adapting a practice of openness and awareness of your environment as well as your own thoughts feelings and triggers this will help you to recognize when you're disengaging or hiding yourself from the world hiding your true authentic vulnerable self because you're afraid and after you become aware of this you can start to make a change as well as authenticity I also mentioned acceptance and when it comes to acceptance the key is to allow your emotions to come and to work through and release them as they do so allow whatever it is that you're struggling with to come work with it work through it process the emotions Allow it to be rather than suppressing it and pushing it down or pushing it aside. For me, I write to help me to do this. And when I don't or when I suppress my emotions or ignore them or push them down, they always arrive one way or another, usually as my head hits the pillow at night or even in my dreams. And when they arrive in these scenarios and situations, usually too does a lot of emotion. 
I find this really hard. This is when I know that I need to return to my writing. So if you can relate to this, if something is coming up for you, whether it's emotions, whether it's who you are deep down inside, whatever it is that's arising for you, find your way to allow it to come, to sit with it, to work with it, and in turn to release it so that you can work towards acceptance. And I promise you that if you do so, acceptance will come. So write, talk, sit with these emotions, whatever works for you. And as you do so, remember too to continue tuning into Unspoken, where I'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to Unspoken with me, Dr. Clodagh Campbell, the wellness psychologist. Be sure to like, subscribe and follow me at the wellness psychologist on Instagram if you'd like to hear more. If you identified with this topic, make sure to check out the show notes where I have listed related resources for you. I hope you find them beneficial.